You're listening to a sermon podcast from Church at the Gates where we desire for real people to meet the real Jesus and experience real change. We pray that God might use the next few minutes to draw you closer to him. My name is Danny, one of the pastors on staff here, and it's my joy to get to share the word with you this morning. Generally, Mark occupies the stage at this time, but it's his birthday today. Actually, it was Friday. And so he is away this weekend, getting some great rest with him and his bride. So his phone is on Do Not Disturb. So if you haven't texted him, if you've texted him or emailed him and he hasn't responded, that is why. And so, Mark, we hope that you get a great amount of rest and enjoy your bride on, on this, your birthday weekend. But for those of us here, um, we're going to dig into the book of Isaiah. And we started last week, we're endeavoring to cover three verses in four weeks, and these are verses that speak to the advent of hope that has come in Jesus, the thrill of hope to a weary world. So you got Bibles open to Isaiah 61, one through three, we'll read our text in full. The spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of righteousness, the planting of of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is God's word. Let's pray as we open it. Dear Lord, it's our desire that you are glorified in us today. And so we place ourselves under the authority of your word. And we ask that by your grace, you would change us as a result of what we encounter in your word today. God, would you leave us different because of what you've shown us. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Our text in Isaiah this morning is concerned primarily with the idea of freedom. And if we were to take a straw poll of the room, get a temperature as to what freedom means to us, we'd probably get a number of different answers or nuances, but... One of the through lines might be the idea of personal autonomy. That idea that freedom is not needing anything from anybody. Not being able to be controlled because we don't owe outstanding debts to anyone. No one can tell me what to do. We learn about this idea of personal autonomy at a young age. I'll prove it to you. Have you ever witnessed a temper tantrum? Put yourself in that moment. Go there with me. Everyone's at the dinner table, and it's meatloaf again. And you have resigned yourself to the fact that you will, in fact, eat the meatloaf because you know that if you don't, it comes with an early bedtime. But your sister is not on the same program. And so she begins to go, sorry, sisters in the room, nuclear, right? Fork-pounding Peas flying. It is a battle of wills. The parents, your sister, waiting to see who will win out. 
And after a few rounds on the merry-go-round of anger that you did not commit to be a part of, your sister, recognizing that she does not want to go to bed early, begins to choke down her meatloaf. But not before. She looks dad dead in the eyes and says, I cannot wait till I'm an adult so no one can tell me what to do. Stupid meatloaf. We chuckle at that as as adults because we know that there's not really any area in which we have complete, total autonomy in our lives. And as we talk about this idea of freedom, it's natural for us to think about some of those things that would limit the freedoms that we desire to enjoy. Again, if we went back and pulled the room, we would have conversations about government or about economic need or a lack of opportunity or people that would wish us harm or catastrophe or things outside of our control or beyond our pay grade, all that has the potential to limit our freedom. And it's easy to place blame or to skirt responsibility and say, I don't have freedom because dot, dot, dot. Or they did this to me, so I can't be free. And Montanans like to think that we are fully aware and capable of guarding any and all threats to our freedom, right? We have longer driveways, and we have bigger fences, and we may or may not have stocked armories. But... What if the greatest threat to freedom doesn't come from outside of us? And as we think about freedom, another helpful consideration is, what if true freedom comes through accepting constraints? A willingness to put ourselves under the authority of someone or something else. See, not all laws threaten our freedom. Most of us traveled here today Given the weather, we probably didn't walk or ride our bikes. We took a car, a big diesel truck, or maybe the bus. And as we did, there was part of us that was grateful for the traffic laws that governed how we got here. What happens when you come to an intersection or a stop sign? As part of the rules of engagement, getting in the car and on the road, we've accepted certain things. And so whether you rode down Reserve Street, or you came down the Bitterroot 500. Actually, that's probably a bad example about traffic laws. But (laughs) suffice it to say, we have placed ourselves under these constraints that we might experience freedom on the roadway. The Bible talks about this as meekness. And it often gets a bad rap, but meekness is not a lack of strength or agency, but a willingness to restrain those things to put ourselves under the authority of someone or something else for our good. I used to work at a place called The Harbor, which was a Christian recovery community. And I was grateful for the opportunity to walk alongside courageous men who were willing to look the things that plague them in the eyes and to be honest about them to that community, to themselves, and most importantly, to God. And many of those men, through hard work and by God's grace, began to experience the first fruits of freedom. And days turned into weeks and weeks into months and months into years of sobriety. 
And at the end of each man's journey, if they saw it through, there was a graduation at the end where the house got together and they were able to invite family and friends. And at one such graduation, one of the men talked about freedom in this way. I used to think true freedom meant doing whatever I wanted. No one and nothing telling me what to do. But I didn't know how bound I was. Our text again this morning, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. We're gonna try this one instead. The Lord through his prophet Isaiah is bringing good news to a tired and a wearied people, to a people whose hopes have been beaten down. The promised land isn't what it once was. They have now known occupation and been controlled by outside nations, Assyria and Babylon. And through the words of Isaiah, they hear proclaimed freedom, liberty. And as Mark talked about in the sermon last week, Jesus created quite a stir in the synagogue when he proclaimed liberty. In Luke 4, Jesus is asked to read from the scroll, and he finds his way to the passage we're looking at today. And at the end of it, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was leaving no doubt that he, in fact, was the Messiah, the one who was promised, the one who would bring freedom. God's people had long been waiting for the promised one. Jewish boys and girls remembered being tucked in, hearing about prophecies of the one who would come, who would right wrongs, who would bring justice. Let's get Christmassy. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. <clears throat> Again, this, prophet, this prophecy rings in the ears of people who have had hope deferred. They're heartsick, waiting, and longing. And so it's a wild thing that months before the first advent, the birth of baby Jesus, in Luke chapter 1, Mary did in fact know. She was told by the angel this. Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's important to know that Jesus knew himself to be the Messiah, that Mary knew, himself, knew him to be the Messiah, and that God desires for us to know Jesus as the Messiah. But as we talk about freedom and bondage this morning, it's helpful for us to allow God's word to define those terms. So you've got your Bible in front of you or on the screen. Let's look at Psalm 107 together. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners and afflictions and irons, for they had rebelled against the words of the Most High. 
and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. If we're to fully taste the sweetness of our freedom, we need to know the bitterness of our bondage fully. These people were in bondage because they had rebelled against God. They had spurned his wisdom and his counsel. Earlier on in the book of Psalms, chapter 2, it talks about those that would rebel against God, and they use a term, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That is to say, the kings and the rulers and us as well don't enjoy constraints in our lives. And so we desire to throw those things off, which would seek to control us, even if they're good things that God desires for us. And so they burst the bonds apart. The very things that have the capacity to link them in relationship with God. And in doing so, they began to link themselves to the the other nations. The nation of Israel, God's people, found their security and their hope and a source of power through relationships with surrounding nations. Let's take a little bit of God, let's take a little bit of the world, and let's mix it all together. We are God's people, but the Assyrians build bigger chariots, and the Babylonians have better fortresses. We know what God says, but it's as if they're saying, thanks for that advice but we know better. A little bit of compromise goes a long way. What does this look like for you and me? Are there moments and are there places in our lives where we know what God has for us? That's abundantly clear. And yet we set that aside and we do something different. We seek other, better sources of comfort or security or pleasure than what God has to offer us. We think our hope rests somewhere else. Have you ever found yourself in that place, knowing what God wants and laying it aside to do something different? Isaiah 59. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face so that he does not hear. It's really important for us to know and to understand why the people who were once in relationship with God are now bound. Back to Psalm 107. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in afflictions and irons. Why? Because they had rebelled against God. And they had spurned the counsel of the Most High. So what does God do? Does he rescue them in their distress? Not right away. He bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. They rebelled against him. And so what he does is he allows them to taste the bitter fruit of their sin. And he actually leads them into a place where they experience difficulty as a direct result of their, dis- of their disobedience. This is the Lord's discipline. 
because they've compromised, because they've walked away from the counsel of God. He allows captivity. He allows for them to know what it is to have their heads bowed in bondage. And their actions and their cultural values and their opportunities are now dictated to them by foreign powers. And wanting to be like the nations around them, they burst apart what linked them to God. And in doing so, they took up the chains of another master. Helpful question for us is, what does that look like today? Because I believe God is still in the business of allowing us to taste the bitter fruit of our sin, the difficulty that comes. He doesn't protect us, oftentimes, from the pain and the hardship that comes from wandering. Why? Because he knows that the food at the Father's table is better than the scraps offered by the world. Many of us in this room, prodigal sons and daughters, have drunk deeply from the world, only to thirst for what the Father alone can provide. He allows us to wander because he knows his way is better. He knows that Jesus alone holds the keys to what binds us. And he knows the greatest threat to freedom exists inside of you and of me. One of my favorite Christmas traditions is to watch, read, or listen to A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. So I don't care if your jam is is the Muppets, or it is George C. Scott, or it's the book itself. It doesn't feel like Christmas until I've hung out with Scrooge. And I know I'm nostalgic, but there's a lot of beauty and a lot of truth in Dickens' tale. And there's a reason that it remains a classic to this day. One of the most memorable moments for me in the story is when Scrooge is first visited by an old, long-since-past friend. Can you picture it? That moment as Ebenezer Scrooge sits in his easy chair, having finished a humble meal, trying to warm himself by a fire that he is too stingy to put more coal in. And as he begins to nod off, he hears the unmistakable sound of chains. We remember that moment. He tries to talk himself out of it, that what he sees and hears is not real, perhaps just a bit of undigested beef, he says. And yet he can't avoid Jacob Marley standing before him. And so his friend, long since past, begins to plead with Scrooge. With all the words and all the gumption that he's got, he says to Scrooge, I wear these chains that I forged in life. And I made it link by link. And yard by yard, I girded it of my own free will, and of my own free will, I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Jacob Marley comes and says, don't make the same mistake that I did, brother. Don't allow your greed and your selfishness to choke out the ability to be generous with those around you. You are forging chains of your own. 
I have bound myself willingly, he says. John 8, 34. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What is your chain, what is my chain made of? Is it greed, lust, selfishness, hatred, gossip, anger? Today, do you find yourself wrapped in sin that you have willingly walked into? Jesus came to proclaim liberty to those of us who are in bondage. Today, we must recognize that the greatest threat to freedom is not solved by bigger fences or stronger armories. We need to recognize the greatest threat to freedom exists within us. And if we can come to terms with that, if we can agree with God that we are in fact enslaved to sin, that truth can be sobering, that truth can be deeply uncomfortable. But if we really own it, if we don't try and avoid it or numb it or blame shift, if we recognize it and agree with God about our sin, then we can come to terms with the gospel. And the funny thing about the gospel is it is so freeing and it will set you free. But first, it'll probably make you angry because it requires us to look honestly at our sin and recognize our need. And that is where the good news of Isaiah 61 rings as loud as a bell. He's come to proclaim liberty to the captive. He's come to bring freedom for those who are beaten down and bound. How does he do that? Because if you're like me, you've tried to beat lust and pride and envy, laziness and avoidance. Let's look at the words of Paul to the Christians in Rome. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free. Now, if we have died with Christ, then we believe we will also live with him. Paul beautifully proclaims this truth to those in Rome and to us who listen today. God incarnate in Jesus came that first Christmas. He lived as a man, but also lived unlike any other man or woman in that he lived free from sin. And it was his joy that was set before him, Scripture says, that he endured the cross and he subjected himself to its pain, bound himself to the will of the Father, becoming obedient to death. Why? Was it because he wasn't powerful enough? No way. He displayed true meekness. He bound his will to the will of the Father again and again in the garden because he knew it would please the Father and he knew that it would be the way to bring about our freedom. Then three days later, he rose again. 
That is why Paul can say, we are no longer slaves to sin. The thing that I don't want us to miss, that scripture doesn't want us to miss, is that we have to be bound to something. And true freedom comes in meekness. So we can either be bound to sin and our rebellion from God, or we can be bound to God through the work of Jesus. The choice is ours because of Jesus. Remember that story that I told about the Harbor graduation and my friend? Here's the full quote. I used to think that true freedom meant doing whatever I wanted. No one and nothing telling me what to do. I didn't know how bound I was. Now I know that true freedom is about being bound to the right things, to dying to myself that I might live to righteousness and to the ways of God. Amen to that. We have to look at both what we're freed from and what we're freed to. And so if we are bound in chains to sin, what are we freed towards? Paul answers for us, and we're grateful for it. Romans 6 let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body and make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been made or been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Did you catch it? There's, there's actually two commands there. Don't offer yourself to sin. And do offer yourselves to God. We're presented with a choice. We have been freed. Don't go back. This verse implies that prior to Christ, that we had no option but to sin. We had no way to distance ourselves from those things which plagued us. But in Christ, we have been made free. And yet, you and I still have at times a desire to pick up the chains that bound us. We must remember that what the world offers as freedom is truly chains. Psalm 2-2. Remember that part? We stuck a pin in it. For the men of the world and the women of the world desired to burst apart the bonds that bound them to God. Let's look how Christ reverses that for those who've come to know him. Psalm 107. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. He burst their bonds apart. First, they burst his bonds, but then they find themselves chained in bondage. And while we were still sinners, he pursued us. And through the gospel, he made us free. John Chrysostom, one of the earliest church fathers and shepherds of the church, said it so beautifully. He said, bondage to God and righteousness is better than any other freedom. We need to acknowledge today that we are the greatest threat to our freedom. And that Jesus is the only hope to bring about our freedom. If we know that, then we are to live as freed men and women. 
Now, I recognize that for some of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, that command, be free, can almost feel patronizing. You think, I know Jesus, and I've tried to beat back sin, and there it is again. I don't know the freedom like we're talking about today. And so maybe I just got to be better or muster it up and try harder. No. There's a reason why we are so obsessed with the finished work of Jesus. He has met every need for your and my righteousness in his work, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. You were not saved. I was not saved because of our works. We were counted as righteous in God's eyes because of Christ's work through the gospel. But if you come to faith in Jesus and you have been freed from sin, you can now choose to live as an instrument of righteousness. He's prepared good works for you to walk in. He's enabled you through his Holy Spirit to honor him. That's great news. And yet if you're like me, there are still times where my kids are in the room, you can ask them, I'm still impatient with them. Or you still have a harsh word for your spouse, or you still love yourself way more than your neighbor. The point is, we don't need to somehow try on our own to be better. We need to be bound to Jesus. As we set down the chains that we're bound by, Jesus invites us to take up his yoke. Matthew 11, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He invites us to be bound to him. Those of us who were weary and heavy laden this morning, which is all of us, that's good news. He gives us the metaphor of a yoke, a simple farming implement that would bring two animals together, oxen, donkey, horse, you name it. And through that device, it would allow those animals to follow the direction of the master. There are times where you and I, yoked to Jesus, are going to look to the right or to the left because the things of the world are shiny and they look good. But if we remain bonded to Jesus, if we remain yoked to him through his work, through the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life, Jesus will help us to seek and to know and to do the will of the Father. We are the greatest threat to our freedom, and Jesus is our true and only hope to be free. This Christmas, it is our hope that you would come to know the freedom that is offered in Jesus. Don't seek to be better. Seek to be bound to the Savior. I love it. I have a friend who often, when he would talk about the gospel, he said, don't come to the cross with your promises. Just come with your repentance. And if you're like me, you want to you wanna say, I'm going to be better this time. It's going to be different this time. What if it's not? What if instead of just trying harder, we need to come to the Lord with our repentance who forgives in abundance? Come to him confessing your need. Come to him admitting your sin and trust simply in Christ for the freedom that his gospel proclaims. Instead of willing ourselves to be better, what if we were to trust 
that the one who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete his work. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He is the one who's burst our bonds apart. God sent a baby with the keys to purchase our freedom so that we could be bound to him. Let's pray. Dear God, we covered a lot of ground today. I pray that you would help us to see ourselves rightly. I pray that you would help us to see our need soberly. And I pray that you would help us to respond to the gift that has been offered in the gospel. Lord, help us today to find the freedom that comes in being bound to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon podcast from Church of the Gates. For more information about our church or to connect with us about what you just heard, you can visit churchinmissoula.com.